Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. During my seminary years, our spiritual director of the seminary would often say after his talks, he would give us talks on a regular basis. They were called tachki in the Slavonic word. In other words, it's like little meditations. He would always say, gentlemen, live the liturgy. Live the liturgy. Now, those brief words from our spiritual director actually hold the key to success and happiness in every aspect of life, in particular, marriage. First, We have to move beyond a certain spirituality of compartmentalization. A common approach to church is to speak in terms of fulfilling an obligation or that we went to church, almost like we could say, well, we did the church thing, (laughs) to put it kind of in a banal way. While these things in themselves are legitimate, yes, we do fulfill an obligation, we do go to church, they reflect a certain compartmentalization. It's very characteristic of our modern Western ethos. We do the church thing, but then after church, we get on with the business of living our lives in ways that often have little consistency with the vision and experience of the liturgy that we did in church on the weekend. The liturgy, and in particular the Eucharist, is not just about receiving Jesus. Oh, it certainly is that. that that'd be enough in itself. But it's, it's so great, it's, it's, there's more to it. There's nothing beyond Christ, of course, but there's more to understanding the mystery of the Eucharist. And it's well beyond just an obligation. The liturgy informs all of life by an immersion into the one and only correct comprehensive mystical vision of life. Now, this happens through every aspect of the liturgical life. The architecture, icons, the ritual, the prayer, the chant, liturgical texts, you know, the prayers that we actually say, the liturgical calendar with its accompanying liturgical customs. For example, in the Byzantine church, we're coming up on the Feast of St. Elijah. That's on July 20th. He was taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. So what we do is we bless our vehicles on that day. 
And then after that, we'll be coming up on the great feast of Our Lady's Assumption, or as we call it in the Eastern churches, her, her dormition, her falling asleep in the Lord. In other words, as she went body and soul into heaven. And during that feast day, we bless flowers and herbs that we bring to church. So there are sacramentals connected with these feast days. So through those things, through the prayer itself, the chant, everything, the liturgy immerses us in a vision of life. Now, this is particularly true when it comes to marriage. Often tell married couples in preparing them for marriage and in counseling them when they have difficulties in their marriage, always tell them that, you know, there's really no such thing as a marriage problem. There really isn't. There's only a problem really of spirituality, of having the right starting point about the why behind our being married, behind our being man and woman, how to be that for each other. And that great why, that mystical why, which unlocks all the secrets of relationship, that is found in the context of the liturgy of the church. This is why liturgy and prayer is so essential for any married couple. Absolutely essential. Well, let's face it. Marriage was created by God. The Bible begins with marriage and it ends with marriage. And in between, it's one big spousal mystery. It's one big relationship of Christ, the bridegroom, to his bride, the church, and by extension, all of creation, all the world, all humanity. That's how the prophets describe their relationship with God. There were many analogies and metaphors, but the most common, the most compelling one, the most beautiful one is that of a spousal relationship. So really, everything comes down to marriage. It's the one great fundamental mystery, as St. John Paul II would say in his Theology of the Body. And he was right. And there it is in the liturgy of the church. So, especially for married couples, when we enter into the liturgy of the church, it would be helpful for all married couples to open themselves up, their senses, their heart, their soul, to taking in what's really happening there. For example, let's look at some of the ways in which the liturgy provides what I call a veritable blueprint for holy, happy, lasting marriages and family. Actually, it's a blueprint for any aspect of life if you're single or whatever, but in particular, married couples can find a lot of context to their marriages in the liturgy of the church. Again, immersing ourselves in its vision, not just going to church. Yeah, that's legitimate itself. That's good. But why do we go to church? What's the advantage of going to church? Because just we're, you know, ascribing to some law, an obligation? No. We go there because we need it. God wants us there, and he wants us there because we need it for our happiness, our holiness, especially in marriage. So one of the things that we see in liturgy, which is helpful in a married couple's life, the lives of a married couple is helped by understanding and establishing a correct rhythm. You know, there is a rhythm of life. The great Catholic speaker, Matthew Kelly, wrote a whole book on this, a brilliant book called The Rhythm of Life. Well, there's a way that God designed things, a way we're made to live according to a certain rhythm. Obviously, we have time when we are awake, time when we're asleep. That's an obvious rhythm. But there's a more basic rhythm of life. I call it like a bell curve. It's a preparatory time, a lead-in time a time to prepare, to enter into something. Then it's the experience of the thing itself. Then there's that time when we come out of that experience with a kind of an afterglow or residue, which I call the resolution. So it's rising action, climactic moment, and resolution. That's really a fundamental rhythm of life, and that's how the liturgy is. There's a great preparation for liturgy, which really starts in our homes. 
for the priest it does too. And in fact, he has a whole rite of preparation he does in the Byzantine liturgy at a table that is to the side of the main altar in the sanctuary in the Byzantine church. And then there are prayers that he does afterwards. He kind of comes out of the liturgy. You know, the last day, man, doesn't mean it's all over. There's a kind of a resolution that has to happen, sort of come out of it, almost like a spiritual decompressing. Well, it's the same thing with marriage. There's the preparation for marriage, even the preparation of how to relate to one another, how to have an event in the family, like going to church or just doing something together, planning something. There is a way in which we move into something. We move into maybe a subject we want to talk about between husband and wife. Then there's the event itself. And then there's that afterglow, that resolution. And we have to have that rhythm during the day. As the book of Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything. We do need, and this is especially true for couples, and I'm amazed at how easily couples let go of this early on in their marriage. Part of this rhythm is to have carefree timelessness together, just being, having no sense of time, just each other's presence, no pressures and so on. That's really what's happening in liturgy. When you come into liturgy, you suspend all sense of time, all legation. That's why we say, let us who mystically represent the cherubim and sing a thrice holy hint of the life creation trinity, and now set aside all earthly cares and sing it repeatedly. The priest says it repeatedly. We have to drum it under our heads. Let us lay aside all earthly cares. Just come and life out. Just come and be with each other and with the Holy Trinity in this liturgy. Married couples need that. It's vital and they let go of it so easily in marriages. And they get burned out. They get stressed. They get so involved in the challenge of the household, of paying the bills and raising the kids and running them this and that to this place and that place and so on. They forget that we are created for a basic rhythm of life, which would include carefree timelessness, preparation, coming out of something, not just the event itself, but how we get there, how we move on, The second thing is, liturgy gives us something very essential to marriages, something I find is missing so much in our day and age. I'm going to call it humility and deferential love. Humility and deferential love means that we have an awareness there is something and someone greater than ourselves. We put something and someone above and beyond ourselves. Now, that's frightening to hear that. I know that's frightening. Because what about me? I'm going to lose myself. Yeah, well, that's part of what we have to do. We lose ourself in a certain sense. As St. Paul reminds us, we die to ourselves to be a truly loving Christian. So the other person is what matters. And in doing that, we do get what we need as well. It's very reciprocal. We don't blame. We ask for forgiveness. We always ask ourselves, what can we do better? Maybe I didn't explain myself very well to you. Maybe I didn't quite hear you correctly. Instead of, you made me mad, or you didn't do this, or you always do that, or you never do this. We don't avoid generalizations and exaggerations, catastrophizing. Rather, we ask ourselves, we defer to the person and humbly ask ourselves, well, maybe there's something that I didn't understand, or maybe I didn't say this right, or maybe I could do this a little better. It's not about blaming oneself or beating on each other or ourselves. It's about deference. Look at the icon of the Trinity, which should be over the arch in all Byzantine churches. That arch is over the sanctuary. That's its proper place. Or if you have an icon of the Trinity in your home, look at that icon. Look at how the three heads of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are bowed in deference to each other. They're bowing to one another. Well, they're all equal, but they act as though they're not. 
It's almost as if one is saying to the other, I bow to you. No, I bow to you. Imagine, only Trinity is depicted doing that within itself, God within himself. How much more so should a husband and wife defer to one another out of reverence for Christ, as St. Paul says in Ephesians 5, the only epistle reading prescribed at a Byzantine liturgy, and obviously for very good reason. When we come back, we're going to apply more of the liturgy to the holy mystery of marriage. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Married couples, I have good news for you. There are no such things as marriage problems. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. There are no marriage problems. There are only problems in knowing and living the theology of the body, which answers the question, why are we a man and why are we a woman? When we know this, we come to know our legitimate needs as man or woman, and marriage is all about meeting these legitimate needs. Remaining unaware of these needs is what begins the process of exchanging hurts, leading to strained relationship. A woman's greatest need is to be relationally fulfilled by knowing her husband is emotionally present to her. A man's greatest need is to know that his wife believes in him that he is more than adequate, and that he has what it takes to be a man. Our legitimate needs as man and woman are revealed in the very language of our gendered bodies. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We're applying the immersion of the liturgy, the immersion of the liturgy into the right vision of life. We're applying that to, in this case, the sacrament of marriage. Before we go any further, I want to say hello to all of you who have been listening and who do write to us for kind letters. Recently, I want to thank Jean Bray. Jean Bray, a a very loyal fan of Light of the East here from Tohuya, Washington. Hopefully I pronounced that right. It's a little bit like my own name. It ends in a Y-A. Tohuya, Washington. <laughs> Jean Bray, thank you very much for your very kind letter and hope you're doing well. Thanks for listening above all to us here at Light of the East. So 
more about how we can apply the vision that we're immersed in through liturgy, how we can apply that to, in this case, the sacrament of holy marriage. Another aspect that the liturgy teaches us is to pray unceasingly, but especially with a sense of repentance and gratitude. You know, we do so much criticizing and complaining. We, we have so much of a consciousness of how the other person or life itself is falling short. It's not as we want it to be, so we're angry. When really our posture should be one that is like the liturgy. What are we doing during the liturgy the whole time? We're constantly asking for forgiveness. How many times do we say, Lord, you have mercy in the Byzantine church? You can't even count them all. At the same time, we're praising the Lord, offering glorious words of praise and adoration to him. And we pray constant liturgy. Somebody asked me recently, a Latin Rite Catholic, they said, one of the differences I noticed between the Latin Rite liturgy and the Byzantine liturgy is that you don't have many moments of silence in the Byzantine liturgy. You're continually praying or chanting. I said, yes, we do have silence, but in other areas of our liturgical worship and prayer. But in the liturgy, we go by this principle that's in the scripture of praying unceasingly because we're entering into the ongoing liturgical liturgy of the angels in heaven, the angels and saints in heaven surrounding the throne of our Lord and continuous unceasing prayer. So we're constantly praying. It's like a seamless, seamless process of the priest making the invocations and chants and the people answering and, and sort of connecting right on with the priest chant. There's hardly a, a break in between and the priest with finding yet another word to describe and praise God. So there's a sense of unceasing prayer. And that gives us an example of this, as the scripture says, to pray unceasingly, just pray always. And so the liturgy gives us an experience and again a vision of praying always and primarily for repentance, forgiveness, and in thanksgiving. And how do we pray always? People often think, well, you're carrying a prayer book around, you're saying these words all the time. Well, I mean, you can, but praying unceasingly means really having a constant God consciousness, being aware of and seeing God everywhere in all things, all events, even bad ones, even tragic ones. Where is God present? What is he teaching? What is he revealing? now or later on even, down the line when we don't always see it at first. How is he revealing himself and his glory and the goodness of creation of life? With this consciousness, when you really fill yourself up with this consciousness, it, it, the sense of God wells up in you, and what comes out of that is a spontaneous sense of thanksgiving, of gratitude, and also of repentance. Let's face it, if something is so great you feel unworthy in its presence. So you actually do a lot of apologizing. Well, this is what the liturgy does. It teaches us the right posture before God. And that's part of that also that deferential prayer we talked about earlier. The liturgy gives us also a sense of the right ordering of things, that there is an authority, there's a hierarchy, and where our place is in that. And it's an important place, significant place, but a very lowly place. We're lowly sinners. That's why we're like, the publican and the Pharisee, remember that gospel story? We're like the publican who stays in the back of the church, of the temple, and hardly raises his eyes up and just beats his breast saying, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. The Pharisee, on the other hand, was up front telling God how righteous he was. And, and sure, it's good that he's righteous. We, we're taught to use that example too. But the real thing is in that heartfelt sense of repentance that shows that we have the right ordering before God. We realize how great God is and how little we are in relation to God. 
It's not about beating ourselves on the head or putting ourselves down. It's about the right ordering. It's about reality. And we're missing that today. We're missing that sense of authority. No one's going to tell me what to do. Ephesians 5. Remember that? Those of you who were married in the Byzantine church, that's the only reading you get. Ephesians 5. And Ephesians 5 talks about deferring to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it says, women be submissive or subordinate to your husbands, but as if to the Lord. In other words, help him on his mission to love you as Christ loved the church, which is an impossible mission for any man because we're not Christ, although we have to be Christ-like. So the woman is to submit herself. In other words, make herself a support for her husband's task to love her. See how reciprocal it is? And we've lost that today. I don't have to listen to him. I'm not going to submit to him. I got to work too. I got problems too. I got bills to pay too. And when we see what's happening with marriage today. But the vision, the liturgy, gives us that sense of, of order, of authority, of hierarchy, of where we stand. And it gives us a sense of what our deepest desires are, that the why behind our wanting to be married is because we desire intimacy, to become that union and communion of persons, because that's who God is. As I said earlier, we got three persons of the Trinity. It's seen in the icon in the church, bowing to other in deferential love. They're a union and communion of persons. We're made like that, God's. Therefore, that's our desire too. So to understand why we want to be married is very helpful for a married couple. And understanding the why is what leads you to how to really be married in a way that is life-giving. And once again, the vision for that is in the liturgy. Liturgy reminds us of our origins and our ultimate destiny. We're married. We desire marriage and union and community of persons, of family, because God created us like himself. He created us to love as he loved. This is what Adam and Eve realized. Adam realizes who he is as a man when Eve comes along because he knows that now he can make a gift of himself and this creature can do that for him in return. He couldn't do it with the animals. He knows that he's made male and female, that humanity is made male and female, so that we can share in God's love because we are to imitate, to be in God's image and likeness. And we can form that union community of persons. In the end, we have this incredible, beautiful destiny seen and experienced on earth in the Eucharist where we become one with one another, one body in Christ, and one with the Holy Trinity. Not equal to, but one in union with the Trinity. Isn't that a magnificent, incomprehensibly beautiful destiny? And this is what the liturgy reminds us of. It points us beyond marriage. It's a venue in which two people are exposed to one another in their entirety. And they have to make a choice to love after being exposed and realizing what you got in this person you married. And it's an arena for each other's salvation to help each other come to that final wedding banquet in heaven, as the book of Revelations describes. A lot of couples don't really know the why. They, basically, in our culture, two people are attracted to each other, they like each other, and they decide to get married. They don't really know the ultimate why, but it's there in the liturgy. What was intended from the beginning and what will be in the end of time forever in heaven is all there in the liturgy. The liturgy is one great spousal mystery. Think about it. It's Christ the bridegroom who comes to wed himself in the nuptial chamber of the sanctuary, set apart by veils and icon screens in the Byzantine church like it was in the Old Testament. 
to consummate a mystical marriage on the nuptial bed of the altar, to come to unite with his bride, the church, that's us. This is what's happening in liturgy in the Eucharist. That's the context, the why behind man and woman being married. And it, it's most clearly experienced there in the liturgy. You can't get more marital, more nuptial than the Eucharistic mystery. Where Christ, in his own words, used by the priest in the liturgy, take, eat, this is my body, given up for you. Or in the Eastern churches, we use the translation, broken for you. I give myself to you. And in return, I receive you. And we become one. Always retaining our own identities, but yet becoming one. Just like in marriage. Marriage also is a venue in which two people, as I mentioned, reveal themselves to each other, and they must make constant choices to love as God loves, to help each other eventually end up together and with all who are saved at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Oh, I thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN communicating the faith. You know, you get paid in heaven for the ministry that you do on here. I love your show. My life has completely changed through God's power and through His revelation. I've changed myself in my life. All my first fruits go to God, and I remain in God. I pray all the time. Your show is in my prayer. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!